are in the Grotto Pod. I am in the Grotto Pod. Bridget is in the Grotto Pod. We're all here in the Grotto Pod. Soon we will be joined by another person in the Grotto Pod. Why don't you, uh, since, you know what, since it's someone with whom you share not only a name but a history, why don't you tell well, the for, Lucky fans? Uh, don't yeah, cut me off. Uh, I, I, I was waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. But I just wouldn't waiting, stop. And you just, just kept, kept talking. On going. Yeah, We're trying most, to work on not talking over each other, but actually it's impossible, so it, screw that. It is a little hard. There's not a lot of room both um, physically and mentally here in the Grotto Pod, so we've got to fill all the space. Also, you and I are the same. We like to just talk. We do. So we do. You know, it'd be great if there was a place where we could just talk and people would have to listen. Oh, hey! Wait a minute! I got an idea. Anyways, tell us about our <laughs> Let's guest. Let's do the today. show ourselves. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, here's the thing, Larry. I think you're going to have to refer to me as BQ for the remainder okay. of the podcast okay. because the person who is coming in is Bridget Watson Payne. So will it be Bridget Squared on the podcast? That's today? right. But not square. Not in the least bit square. No, no, no. Not at all square. No, it's the opposite because Bridget Watson Payne is uh, the most, one of the most multi hyphenate people you can imagine. Even she, more than Faith. Uh, I know. I was going to say we've had some major mm-hmm. hyphenate folks on, but Bridget Watson Payne, who unbeknownst to her, I refer to to myself and in emails to other people as BWP. BWP. Yeah. Um, BWP is a an editor at Chronicle Books. She is the author of, I believe, four books, but two books that came out this spring. You no, know, I was that curious about the sick. order of that. Um, the I, sound you're about to hear is me turning pages. Okay, well, first of all, the two books are called The Secret Art of Being a Grown-Up, mm-hmm. Tips, Tricks, and Perks No One Thought to Tell You, which is charming and hilarious and actually has valuable advice that even though I'm turning 50 this year, Ooh. I found very helpful. I know that's crazy. Well, one would think I'm grown up, but I, I learned some things. I, you know, and it's funny because I breezed through that book in a good way, it's, or uh, no, a, too it's breezy. a breezy book. Oh yeah, no. yeah, yeah. I breezed through it, and, and but a lot of it stuck with me. Like today, oh, no. when I was standing in front of my closet, going, "Which shirt should I wear?" I thought, "Oh, I shouldn't care." Okay, this is the moment I have to tell this story. Okay, okay, because uh, they now wait. Is this oh, the moment you should tell, or should, or wait should I wait? She's here. Maybe I'll wait. Okay, I'll wait. But I want to say that right that what you just said. What should I wear? Diet. No, intersex, I, I know, intersex is that the word I'm looking for, with her other book called How Art Can Make You Happy, mm-hmm. which came out, I believe, in May, and which is right up my alley, mm-hmm. art. art. But she has a section in there about going to galleries and if you feel intimidated, what to wear. Mm. And I actually read it and thought, that is really good advice because I used to work at the front desk at a gallery in New York, in Midtown. Right. So kind of well, snobby. That's, yeah, that's about as intimidating as yeah. it gets. Yeah. Um, and my job was a little bit not gatekeeper. Anyone can come in, obviously. But to just be aware of what was going on, that people weren't coming in to like it would have been kind steal of or like, whatever. No, no. I'm sorry. Move along. But that does happen no in galleries. It actually does happen. Really? Yeah. That'll keep me from ever going into a gallery. Uh, it, uh, there was a very funny piece. Oh, was that you, Larry? It was. I think that was you. That ding was not me having an idea. It was me receiving a text. I get in trouble for checking my phone, but it is not audible. Mm. But you have to see me do it. I yes. <laughs> Which is a little bit. You have rude. to make the effort to check your phone. Whereas these are people, you know, I'm really you <sighs> yeah. may not know this, you know, but mm. I'm, I'm in great demand. Uh-huh. Bye. People are always Who trying is that to from? Get, usually bill collectors, but sometimes family. <laughs> but uh, Oh and family. Bill and, collectors and people and family. visiting, you know, it's 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 very hard. Oh, I know. It's very oh, hard to There it is again. Uh, ooh, okay, I'll text you. Okay. Uh yeah, um that's another podcast maybe, but if you 
own a couch in San Francisco, just expect mm. people to be dropping in. I'm just going to say. Yeah, if you have a basement with a bed in it, even more. Yeah. Well, uh, last week I had four house guests. Simultaneously yes. or in order? Uh, one after the other? They overlapped. Okay. One was a group of three. One was one plus a bike, which we don't have room for any more bikes at my house. But there was another bike at my house. It was fine. I'm not saying that I loved having them. It was delightful, especially the um, young people who came and stayed were a breath of fresh air Hmm. from Southern California. Hmm. That is nice to have some millennials or younger in your house. I know. Well, I have that already, but it was just so fun to have like a new vibe in the house. But I'm just saying... Your house right. is a place people, people want to go. But, yeah, but Bridget Watson Payne is not a millennial, correct? No, she's, she's bit, younger uh, than us, though. She's younger than us. But I don't she's, know. She, she seems to have a lot of advice on life, but really, that's just a small part of what she does. Right? Did I even get into her hyphenate? Because I got no, distracted no. We got by my distracted house guest. By the house okay, guests. Um, so she is an editor at Chronicle Books. She is an author. She had two books out this spring, 2017. Mm-hmm. That's freaking crazy. And she had two before. This is happening life through the lens of Instagram and New York Jackie pictures from her life in the city that were more like art books, right? Yes, I mean these Photos. are kind of art books too because that's the other thing she is is an artist. She illustrated mm-hmm. uh, these books, The Secret Art of Being a Grown Up. She did, and she's an excellent artist, an excellent editor. I can test because she was my editor. Hey, there's a I know. Um, not just the same first name. And a, I mean, and she's a parent and she works full time. I don't know. How do you do how all that? How does she have time to do, do this? this? So we're going to talk to you about a whole bunch of things, not the least of which for all you aspiring or perspiring, as the case may be, writers out there, uh, the process by which one gets published. Because she's on the inside of that, and she mm-hmm. knows. She sits there, and she edits these books, and she gets these uh, manuscripts and has to fly, you know. Yeah, and also she gets, uh, you know, art submissions as well. So mm. she is kind of a person, I don't want, she's like a Mondo gatekeeper in a way. She's, I don't want to say that. It makes very, it sound kind of mean. But but if you read her books, she realizes, I've only met her once, but mm-hmm. reading the books, you, you know, you get sort of a sense. And, and I read an interview that these the art of being a grown-up really was her trying to get put her personality into a book and it's a very it's very uh, light it's very positive yeah and uh, it's very whimsical she's totally whimsical the way she dresses is fantastic yeah. she is known for posting pictures on instagram whenever she has uh, one of her authors or one of her own books comes out she dresses in the colors of the book and takes a picture with now the book. does that include the color of her hair sometimes because her hair is Often pink. pink. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, she's just a person, like, you can tell she's an artist because she's very colorful, like, always has, like, super right. cool colors on right. and isn't afraid to put plaids with polka dots <laughs> or whatever. Like, she has a sense of style that is her style. Right. And, you know, I know we love hearing us talk, but I think the people yeah, out there want time. to hear her talk. Mm-hmm. So let's it's go time. get her out okay. there. All okay. right. We'll do it. Bye. Here we are. Welcome to B Squared Plus Rosen. <laughs> it's Bridget's against Larry. <laughs> Smackdown. Bridget, welcome to the Grotto Pod. Thank you so much. It's Thanks good to have you here. So uh, we just did a little intro where we outlined your multi-hyphenateness and talked about, outlined some of the and things. And awesomeness. <laughs> and awesomeness. And outlined some of the things we want to talk about today. But I got to say, there's been something that's been on my mind since this morning after reading uh, the How to Be an Adult book, Advice for Adults. Tell me the title again. The Secret Art of Being a Grown-Up. The Secret Art of Being a Grown-Up. Completely different than what you just said. Uh, <laughs> but I sort of captured the essence of it. <laughs> well, that's that's a good summary. But full confession, I did spend five minutes standing in front of my closet this morning trying to decide what shirt to wear. 
I know that goes against all the advice that you give. <laughs> but if you had taken the advice and learned how to what your size is, right, then all your shirts would fit beautifully and you would just be able to put on any shirt. And if you were asking yourself the question of, oh, I don't know, can I get away with this shirt today? You would know that the answer is yes. <laughs> even, even if my cool friends from New York are in town today? Yes. Really? Bridget Stereo. (laughs) (laughs) It never gets old. So I do want to say, I do have to back up because what we didn't say in the intro, or I maybe said it very briefly, is that Bridget was, okay, we're going to just stop here and say, you're going to be Bridget. Take two. Uh And I'm going to be BQ. Okay. Okay. Um, Okay. So that everyone knows who we're talking about. So um, Bridget was my editor for Broad Strokes and was absolutely fabulous the entire time. I loved her so much, but we would say Bridget Power. When- <laughs> and it never gets old to write an email that's like, hi, Bridget, it's Bridget. Yeah. Like, <laughs> love Bridget. <laughs> it should get old, but it doesn't. It, it just doesn't stays highly entertaining. If, yeah. you say, <laughs> if, if you say Bridget a lot, does it start to sound like a weird word that has no sort of meaning? If you Not as say- much as some other words. Not as much as the word some which very quickly devolved into nothing. Yeah, that's a, so short. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, we could try with Larry also. Why isn't well, it? Don't some, even start my mm-hmm. name. Forget it. And there's so many. Are there a lot of Larrys? I never thought that until I knew you. And then there's so many Larrys. You mean Larry Rosens or Larry? Yes, Larry Rosens there specifically. Are. And they, yeah, they, don't even get me started because we're not here to talk about. <laughs> okay. Okay. We're here it's to like talk this. about this Bridget, not yeah. not this one. Um, <clears throat> So the, I think having you in the Grotto Pod, there's so many things we can talk about. We can talk about your career and all the different things you do. We can also talk about uh, your experiences with the process of getting published. Now, I know you recently did a blog post on that where you sort of outlined it in, in a very uh, – how would I put it? Sort of happy way. <laughs> I guess. I I mean, that's kind of the through line that runs through both of these books and through a lot of what I tell people as a book editor, uh, which is funny because I'm not like a chipper, cheery, Pollyanna-ish kind of person, but I do sort of think that there's so much joy sort of hidden inside a lot of these things, but that because they involve work, they can become onerous and the joy kind of gets lost. So because the idea of getting getting published is challenging and everyone knows that, that, you know, there's a lot of hoops to jump through and there's a lot of challenges and whatever. And it can just kind of turn into this like depressing slog. And I, as an editor and having that platform on the Chronicle blog specifically to, you know, talk to people, at least, if nothing else, it should not be mysterious. Mm. It shouldn't be confusing or obscure. Publishing is not some, like, you know, cult that you need to be indoctrinated into. It should just be apparent that, okay, if you want to try and publish a book, you should do A and then B and then C and proceed and not be so, you know, anxious. You know, and I think that's a really good point. because, And I have not had a book published. And there is a part of me that thinks of it as, well, there's some, obviously some magic bullet. <laughs> You know, there's yeah, you said that before, that there's a Yeah, magic that there's bullet. a magic thing that I don't know that all the rest of the people that you know. The cabal. BQ, yes, they're all <laughs> members of the cabal. They're going to have ritual First, human sacrifice you after you. you Bridget. <laughs> so get on that. And yeah, then. Start that. <laughs> that's going to be a stretch. <laughs> yeah. Because not only do I not identify as a woman, I'm not even Irish. No, you're not. <laughs> so there's a problem with that. But <clears throat> Bridget, not BQ. Correct. Um. So your experience at Chronicle Books, is, if I'm wrong, you've been there for 15 years. I just had my 15-year anniversary uh, over Memorial Day weekend. And have really worked your way through the ranks. Yes. <laughs> Let the record show Bridget Watson-Payne is young. 
I'm not that young. I am 41 years old. Young. But I started my I started at Chronicle right out of graduate school. It's really my only grown-up job, you oh, know. But what an awesome job. <laughs> yeah, and I started out answering the telephone and Whoa. I answered the telephone for two and a half years. And that is wow. not the funnest job that there no, ever I'm was. Not. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think I still have a tiny bit of PTSD about the phone when the phone rings. Uh, I sort of think someone's going to yell at me because that's kind of what happens when you oh, work those jobs. For sure. um, but then I remind myself, probably not. I mean, maybe, but most likely not. Less likely in your current position, <laughs> right? Less likely, right. yeah. But during that time, then, have you developed any sort of a sense of uh, purpose within the publishing world? Not that, oh, I go to work and I look at manuscripts, but mm-hmm. that, hey, you know, this is, this is me. This is what I'm part of this and I can do more than just look at manuscripts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and how, how do you – I would say over the last number of years, it's, it's, it's a constantly – and I think this is a good thing, a constantly sort of evolving and changing thing. And for a long time, the position that I was slowly kind of working my way into can best be summarized as sort of inviting more people to the party. That fantastic. When we, I, I work on art books, and that can mean a lot of different things. It can mean art history, like BQ wrote. Mm. It can mean fine art, illustration, photography. I mean, it means a lot. I work on a lot of different kinds of projects, but always my goal is to not have art be this obscure thing on a mountaintop somewhere that's only for a special few people, but rather to invite more people to the art party to say that art is for everyone. Why mm-hmm. would art not be for everyone? I mean, eventually it got to the point of actually writing a whole book about that. But that long before that book, for a long time, that was the sort of professional ethos that informed what I've been doing. And just recently in the last couple of years, I've been thinking more and more about diversity in publishing and how, I mean, kids publishing is doing such a good job with organizations like We Need Diverse Books. And, you know, I feel like children's mm-hmm. publishing is really the vanguard of this in the publishing industry mm-hmm. and and around the publishing industry, librarians, teachers, authors, mm-hmm. all kinds of bloggers, all kinds of people. And I really want to see more and more of that same kind of thing happen on the adult side. <coughs> and I agree. Listen, listeners, if you want to uh, read – Something Bridget just wrote about that. Just go to the Chronicle Books blog. Uh, and I think you also had it on Medium, right? Yeah. Um, I've been posting some of my Chronicle blog posts to Medium. I think that one went on Medium. Um, Bridget also wrote, I thought, a great thing for, I think it was in Publishers Weekly, about coffee table books. Yes. yes. I love that, about reading coffee table books. Right. The, this, I, it was funny. It was one of those classic cases if you write something and then later the headline gets changed. The original Uh-oh. headline was, let's retire the term coffee table books, mm. which is not what it Publishers ended up being Weekly, called. <laughs> <laughs> because I think the idea of a coffee table book is it's on your coffee yeah. table. Yeah. And yeah. you don't open it. Maybe yeah. you put it a, a, a geode or a succulent or something on right. top of it. Some right. people that are over open it. Yeah. Maybe. You're if you're lucky, maybe yeah. your guests open it. <laughs> but that actually taking those books off the shelves, off the coffee. Because those are usually art books in one way, shape, right. or form and spending time with them. But is, here's the thing. Those books are sometimes hard to read. And what I really have appreciated at Chronicle is you make books that are beautiful to look at and you can read. They're not a weird size. They're not too heavy. I mean, a lot of our history books are almost unreadable. Yeah, like size-wise. Right. We uh, we recently made kind of a big book. I want, we were doing a book of Rothko's, and we wanted to make oh, them yeah. really big that because see, it needs to be yeah. immersive. I mean, that's kind of the point. I mean, yeah. As is, they're always going to be way way smaller than a painting in real life. Yeah. But even then, we were really conscious of okay, we want to make a big-ish, relatively slender forty-dollar book, not a hundred-dollar book that you can't like right. lift up off the table. Right. So when you go into when you go into a project, then. And maybe extrapolate just your whole life, your whole creative life. How do you balance the art versus the writing? 
Oh, that's an interesting question. Yeah. Um, most of my authors are artists, mm-hmm. the majority. So, And yet your uh, education was in English. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I went to grad school for English Lit mm-hmm. and I got into publishing because I loved books and I'm right. what can I do with books? I didn't want to be a professor, so mm-hmm. I want to make books. And as most people who get in, you know, the very entry level levels of publishing, you don't know anything about what this actually means. You right. just know you like books, right. Right. Um, I want to be and then you books. learn on the job, you know, what it actually right. means. Which and is was, great, actually. I love that. Yeah, and I was lucky enough to start working with the guy who was editing our, our books at the time, and I had grown up as an art lover, so you know, it was a good fit. And so the tradition in art book publishing is that you are often working with authors who are artists who bring you a body of visual work. So when I'm talking about editing a book, that often doesn't mean editing a manuscript. It often means putting images in a sequence and which are in and which are out and, you know, visual editing. Um, whenever I do actually sit down and edit a manuscript with my little red pencil, I laugh because I'm like, this is what people think I do (laughs) (laughs) for my job. And I actually probably do it about, you know, five times a year, you know, that was my experience and that was yours. (laughs) Um, so I love it when I get to work with writers because it does just bring such a different, you know, you're sort of basically Muscle. seeing similar content, but from a completely different angle um, and a different skill set. But I would think it would take an art book kind of to a different level. I mean, that's one of the things people say about BQ's book is that it's an art book, but it's really fun to read, too, right. which is kind of unusual. Right. And we deliberately put it in a physical size and package. It has a jacket and the price of the book and the, the, price height, the height of the book. The whole thing is meant to evoke non-narrative non-fiction mm-hmm. you would find you know mm-hmm. brand new hardcover non-fiction like right. it should sit happily mm-hmm. next to you know whatever Malcolm Gladwell book is sitting mm-hmm. there on the shelf that day um, oh I like that yeah that's nice <laughs> that it's a reading book that yes it's ch- I mean, we made it full of visuals because partly that's what I tend to do is make visual books but also it needed them for the text to make sense you wanted to see some of these artworks but we also had to leave out a lot of artworks and we said oh, people yeah. have Google right. like, <laughs> but I have to say my pals in the art history world are all blown away by the price of the book because it has so many reproductions that, and they're all in color that's not very usual it's intense yeah it's yeah. pretty intense and to piggyback, yeah. to piggyback off of that uh, because you do work on art books, how much of your job is negotiating the rights to the pictures? Well, in a classic situation, not very much. Images, because sorry, not pictures. In, in a traditional authorial relationship, the author provides both the art and the manuscript. Yeah. BQ's so job. Yeah, I did it. You did that work mm-hmm. for your book. A visual artist can do it easily because it's, it's their theirs, art and right? they yeah. have it and they give it to you. And maybe sometimes there's a challenge with like scanning or something, but basically it's straightforward. But more and more, I've been doing something which is a little unusual where we've been sort of building books from the ground up and putting them together ourselves, where this Rothko book is a good example. We said, there's really no affordable, great like Rothko book around I can't, I, anymore. As soon as you said that, I thought, wow, what? Yeah, yeah, how Rothko. can that be true? There yeah. must be. No, but, but there really wasn't. Yeah. So we you know, hired some great scholars to write essays for us and got an image in it and we did all this. But we needed to do the legwork right. of actually getting the images ourselves because we didn't have a traditional author mm-hmm. to do that. Um, so we actually ended up hiring a, a permission specialist because it is a very specialized job. It seems like it would it's be. Hard. It is not for the faint of heart, my friends. <laughs> I tell you, I blithely went into it thinking I knew because I had mostly worked with much older art, and someone as recent as Rothko is, is harder, way harder. Yeah. And the, um, <laughs> was not prepared for how 
yeah. many hoops there would be. I once did, when I was in a baby junior editorial assistant, there was an artist doing a book, and she, it was all her art, but she wanted four reference images in the book because she often, in her art, referenced mm-hmm. uh, Renaissance paintings. So we wanted to show these four Renaissance paintings in the introduction. Mm-hmm. And I was tasked with doing the permissions to go get mm-hmm. those images it was only four images. I thought it was going to break me. It was so difficult. Well, especially if it was Italy. I don't want to get into it, but that, those are hard people to deal with. Really? Mm-hmm. Museums in Italy. I don't. My, my job at the Met years and years and years ago was to interface with Italian museums, and they took like a two-hour lunch, turned off the uh, facts nice. when they the, weren't uh, in, siesta. didn't answer any calls. It was... <laughs> time-consuming, <laughs> to say the least. I have one question, though, which is that the hyphenate is that Bridget is a writer, an editor, but also an artist. Correct. And her background, at least in education, is not an, as an artist. And that, to me, is the most miraculous part of your story. So mm-hmm. could you like just talk about it a little bit? Just because it, many people would be if anything, more intimidated by working with people. Oh, I am. I am, (laughs) for sure. I mean, it's a funny thing to be around visual art and artists all the time is both, when you start thinking about making your own work, the most inspiring thing and the most intimidating thing Cannot at imagine. the same time, yeah. you know, which is weird because you've this is a strange cocktail of it's, both it's being. A, well, it's a little like being at the grotto. <laughs> I <laughs> bet it is. It's both inspirational oh, and yeah. intimidating. Right, it's being surrounded by talented people right. is both inspiring talented, and intimidating. Yeah, talented, focused, ambitious people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, with their door um, closed, working. But it's slowly but surely, I think, over the years, the fact that I was around so many artists did influence me and inspire me to want to start drawing again. I mean, I was a big art lover as a kid and you know, young teenager. Mm-hmm. If you had asked me when I was nine what I wanted to be when I grew up, I would have said I wanted to be an artist. You know, the, oh, the, so awesome. And then I actually, and it's nice, I don't have one of those horror stories of any mean adults like dissuading me or you telling me. You be an accountant. Like you can't do that or anything. <laughs> I got distracted. I turned into a theater nerd. I went. That I went and a became a theater kid. Yeah, instead, and got and sort of stopped drawing and stopped doing all that and went on and did other things. And then I got into English lit. And then mm-hmm. I became went to book publishing and did all you know various things. And in the last maybe three years or so, partly inspired by the fact that I work with so many talented people and especially illustrators. I know, mm-hmm. but you work with some of the best illustrators in America. I mean, really <laughs> incredible people. Like. I, yes, it's inspiring, but you... But it's also really daunting. Right. When you sit down to go, Absolutely. oh my God. Blank page. If Lisa Congdon did this, if I Julia know. Rothman did this, what would it look like? It would look a lot better. Uh, but but I mean, they're not doing it. I'm doing it. But so. if your message is that, that you, you, know, you want right. to democratize That's art, so perfect. Exactly. art for everyone, then why not you too? Right. And we, we realized we didn't have enough pages in this little slim volume. Um, to get into it. She's but, holding up How um, Art Can Make You Happy How Art right Can now. Make You Happy, which is such a great title. Right. And, and it took a, a really long time to come up with this title, and I'm really happy that we did. And we realized when I first outlined this book, I had a few chapters at the end that got into how making art can make you happy. There is a little bit of There's that. There's a tiny bit. Yeah. There's like one page where it's like, maybe you want to make smart. But yeah. it's really a sort of an afterthought because we wanted to focus on... Looking at art, art appreciation, yeah. enjoying art, yeah. getting to familiar with the mm-hmm. artists that you like. I actually like that because I think there doesn't have to be the onus that you have to do it too. No. You know, and that looking yeah. with your eyeballs and it's appreciating fine. with your heart and your brain is yeah. a legitimate pursuit. It's totally well, fine. You know, and that's an interesting thread that 
I'm always interested in talking to people involved in not the art world, but the book world who aren't writing books. Now, you are writing books too, but you're also creating books. And in the art world, First you're all, also. How the hell do you do all that? But anyway, back to you. <laughs> but no, the idea of like, I can be part of this world and not necessarily as mm-hmm. a writer or mm-hmm. a fine artist. Mm-hmm. I think that a good, in the same way that we appreciate the curator mm-hmm. as a role, or the critic as an important role. I think the the serious appreciator or aficionado or consumer of <laughs> visuals and words or, or patron. You know, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, let's or bring patron. back patrons. <laughs> let's yes, let's. Um, but in the same way that you know, I feel like it's perfect. This is a weird analogy, but I feel like in the world of food, it's perfectly legit to be a serious foodie who doesn't cook. Yeah, you can. Is it? it? I think so. Okay. I think if you are a rest, if you're a restaurant mm-hmm. person, yeah, yeah, you know, okay. if you're someone who knows okay. all the best restaurants in town, yeah. okay. and you go to everywhere yeah. when it opens, yeah. and you know all the chefs, and you're in that milieu, and maybe you cook. I mean, most people I think in that world do cook, but if I think if you don't, you wouldn't get a whole lot of flack, right? Um, right. I don't know that because I'm a lover of cars and motorcycles. It doesn't know how to work on cars and motorcycles. Is that and, and because allowed? Of that, well, because of that, I really don't participate in that world because I don't know if it's allowed. Oh, like if you went to a car show or something, would you be expected? Why don't you just go and see what happens? <laughs> oh, I have. Oh, wait. I have a page in this book about that. <laughs> oh, I can just go. In the secret right. of being a grown-up. You can just go. I can just go. That's it right. Just go. And I can wear whatever shirt I want. <laughs> yes, we need to get back to that. <laughs> yeah, basically, the whole, this whole book could really be summarized as you can do whatever you want. <laughs> Thank God. But wait, the secret art of being a grown-up. I don't want to like turn the conversation too quickly, but this is the page that blew my mind. <gasps> Which one is it? It's the one about the tinfoil. Oh, the tinfoil. <laughs> it's called aluminum foil. I I had no idea. Oh, no, it is called Tinfoil. It could be either. check it out. I'm going to let Bridget say it because, okay, first of all, you think, you think, hey, Larry and Bridget, you're circling 50. You know. From one, from both sides. Yeah, from both sides. (laughs) You know everything about being a grown-up. You've raised children, blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah, totally. Totally not making it up as you go I don't care how old you are. There is shit in here you need. Can I say that? Only if you're Joe Loya. God. Okay. Am I reading this? Well, you can read please. it. Yeah, I think it, you can read it. It's okay. our first uh, time we've ever had an author read from their book. I, in know, the I want you to. Please okay. do. Okay. Guess what? Boxes of aluminum foil, cling wrap, wax paper, and so forth have these little cardboard tabs on the ends of the box that you can push in to keep the roll from falling out. Taking two seconds to punch them in before you first open the box will save you dozens and dozens of tiny roll-flying-out-of-box frustrations over the lifetime of that particular box in your kitchen. If you already knew this before you read this page, well, damn, you are way, way ahead of the game. Pat yourself on the back, grown up. I, I would say I talk I, to people yeah. about this. Maybe one in I ten adults that I talk to already knew this. I have almost asked. nobody knows they're there. My, my wife knows <laughs> so almost everything, and she did not know that. And they're no right, and they're like idea. they're not marked. And they're the, not they're secret. The, the cling wrap always. I've had this problem with especially. Well, you go to pull it out, and it so goes so frustrating. And then it's all tangled together, but. Why don't they just have an arrow or something? something. Can you bizarre. imagine being the person who invented that? Going talk about an unrecognized genius. This wonderful thing they invented and it's nobody perfect. knows. And it's so utilitarian and simple and lovely. And also the illustration is fantastic. It's great. So I love the illustrations in this. Um, they're not you. They're not me. Oh, oh I said they were. Uh, oh no, I draw. I know, but not these not drawings. Those. All right. Okay. My uh, mistake in the did intro. Did you draw the intros. captions for the drawings? No. They did that. No. 
They did. They did all the. Actually, it's really cool. We found this woman who is multi-talented. She's a hyphenate as well. She's both a designer and an illustrator. Mm. So she designed all this cool typography. It looks really good. And she illustrated it. It's really. Um, It's really. It was really fun though. I got to write. In in my book manuscript, inside square brackets, periodically throughout the text, I got to write descriptions of what the illustration should be. So I was like, there are two boxes of tinfoil. There is an arrow pointing to the tab. There is a finger poking the tab in. (laughs) That blows me away, actually. That's very clever of you. And like this one was something like, you know. Ingredients in little bowls with a knife and a cutting board, but it shouldn't look hard. It shouldn't look like difficult cooking. It right, should look it should like look easy, easy cooking. Like, um, <laughs> read the recipe all the way through for booby traps. How many I'm times just have I done cook that? And I made that, I've made I know. that mistake because they trick you. Yeah. Then they mention like way down at the bottom. Oh, boil Turmeric. the water. For the pasta, no and you're like, it's way too late for that now. Like, since yes. we're t- since we're talking about the secret art of being grown up, let's just keep going. Okay, let's talk about the genesis of the idea for the book. Now you're you're rolling along here. You, and you, this came out earlier this spring, right? So they both this came is the crazy thing spring. is they both yeah. came out yeah. this spring. That's did you did insane. you produce them at the same time? We're talking about the secret art of being grown up and how art can make you happy. Yes. And this is someone who works a full-time job <laughs> as an editor. So actually, it's way more than full-time. So she and was editing your book. Oh, while, yeah. Uh, oh, that's right. Going oh, yeah. I wasn't <laughs> yeah. going over again this book. I also have a six-year-old kid. All right. And a kid. Yeah. And a it's, husband, it's, it's, and it's all kind of crazy. Um, I have you know, a very, actually, sometimes a husband can relieve the workload. It's true. It's true. Not this has not been my experience. <laughs> that is my experience, actually. That's but, awesome. Um, that's part of it. Another part of it is that I am crazy regimented. I have like mm. very specific – for instance, on Sunday afternoons, my dad, who lives here in town, comes and hangs out with his granddaughter. Oh, that's really nice. So awesome. have like this amazing, adoring, wonderful time together and I go and sit in the cafe and that's pretty much when I wrote both of these books. On Sundays. It was, like every Sunday afternoon for six months or whatever. Um, wow. So, so – But how art can make you happy, I can understand where that came from mm-hmm. given your career. My, yeah. Secret art of being a grown-up, not as clear. There's a good. It's, there's a pretty good story. Okay, so I was standing on the train platform down in front of the Giants ballpark, uh, waiting for the mini train. Waiting for the T. Waiting for the train to come, and I was with a colleague of mine who was also my friend, who was also an editor, who sits you know three desks down from me, and we were going to some sort of book party or event or something, and we. You know, we're waiting for the train. And it was crowded. I think it had been a while since the train had come, so the platform was packed. And the train pulls up, and everybody starts, like, squishing train onto terrible. this train. The Ugh. train was also crowded. There's another train directly behind the train. And it's not out of service or anything. It's like a you functioning. We That's look at it. One. You sighted yeah. it with your eyes. Yeah, we see yeah. it with our actual eyeballs. We're looking down the platform going, let's just wait for that train, the next train, the second less crowded train. And as we said it to each other, I was like, ooh, ooh, I need to put that in my list. And he was like, what list? And I'm like, my list of you know tips for grownups. He's like, what? tell me more. What is this list of tips for grownups? You know, and I have had a notebook in my desk drawer since I sort of uh, – I'm not exactly sure when I started. I think it was in my mid – early to mid-20s. Oh, my gosh. Out of college. That's pretty living early to start thinking own. about how to be a grown-up. And, but it, and I remember the, ver- the first two. I can distinctly remember the first two I wrote down. The thing that got me to start the notebook was within a week or two of each other, I discovered how to open a bottle of champagne. Mm. That was just a good turn tip. The, turn the bottle, not the cork. Yep. And about, also about cooking the meat stop sticking when it's done. Don't poke at it. Like, it will come up when it's ready. 
both of which are also like I feel like profound life lessons and metaphors as well as practical tips. Um, So I'd had this notebook for, you know, 15 years and been jotting down things. And in my mind, it was a book. But I, I don't know why. I mean, I'm, it was your book for yourself. No, it was like it it might eventually become a book, a bookie book for the world. But I don't. I'm usually a better book editor than this. But for some reason, I had Mm -hmm. never examined this assumption. I thought that each one was just a few words long. So literally, all it would say would be "turn the bottle on the cork." That's it. No explanation. That's it. Yeah. And that I needed, therefore, hundreds and hundreds of them. I pictured it as a list, List. a long list of every tip ever. I am shocked. (laughs) I hear like, oh yeah. You got your little thing and then a few paragraphs. Because you've already seen it. You've already seen it. You have Well, he also immediately, my friend, the editor who worked on like pop culture and humor books, so this is very much his wheelhouse, more than it is mine, was like, wait, how many of these do you have? And I was like, I don't know, several dozen. And he's like, that's practically a book already. Like, that's awesome. This is how everyone hopes getting a book published is going to happen. Okay, so my next. Wait for the train. You already had it done. My next question, and by the way, the second train, that's one of the hallmarks of, of my. Along with, and this is one I, I picked up when I had a little child. If you get to the corner and the walk starts flashing, counting on, just wait for the next one. Yep. You'll be fine. You don't have to run across the street. I know. You'll be there at the same time as everybody else. Yep. But, so my question now is, you've got the idea, you've got an editor who's like, hey, you should make this new book. Do you get to go to the front of the line at Chronicle Books? Uh-oh. Oh. Hmm. Front of the line. Maybe not even the front of the line, but you could go, I got this great idea. And they go, hey, we know you. Yeah, I mean, well, I think that has to help. as every it editor, yeah, yeah. Can't hurt. I mean, I think every editor that, that I know has their, you know, feelers and antenna, <laughs> antenna out. Let the the radar, show. Uh, yeah, the fingers are making antenna <laughs> all the time, right? Mm-hmm. You walk through the world, yeah. you're in a retail store, and you see that they're selling <clears throat> lots of. Uh, coasters in the shape of donuts, and you think, hmm, should there be a donut book? You know, you know, donuts are the next can, thing. If I can interrupt for a moment, I think that's an important message mm. for any writers listening that editors aren't looking to stop you from getting published. <laughs> right. right. They right. want, want stuff right. to get. Right. They want if, a good idea. If an, I, I think I've written this in one of my various blog posts for the Chronicle blog, but if an editor does stop you from getting published by that particular editor or that particular publishing house, that is a good thing because it means it wouldn't have been a good fit. Right. That if they knew it was right. not right for their what they do and they somehow for out of the goodness of their heart or something let it through anyway, only tears not doing would result. They would not be doing anybody, especially you, any favors. Right. Um, that I've had lots of other book ideas that I would like to pursue someday right. that are my own because I have a weird brain full of weird ideas, some of which it turns out are a fit for Chronicle, a lot of which are not. Mm-hmm. You know, and then right. if if people there let those ideas in because they're my friend or whatever, that would be like a very poor choice that right. they're not gonna do. Also, I think it's really important to say that those ideas mm-hmm. might be your best ideas. Those right. ideas mm-hmm. might be your best yeah. book. Right. It's just not a fit. Right. And, and that's like, fine. And that happens later with someone else that's, or whatever. That's the world. That's great. Yeah. Exactly. I have a list that I've been keeping for years, and it's T-shirts. <laughs> okay? I'm just going to tell you right now. T-shirts that exist or T-shirts no, no. that, t-shirts that no, no. should like, exist? For example... <gasps> Yeah, I have such a good one. Okay, yeah, okay. and I'm always, and every once in a while, uh, something like that will happen with the train. I'll be like, "That's a T-shirt," but it started with wear pants because we live in San Francisco. That's all I need to say. <laughs> wear pants. Uh-oh. Now you. Okay, so pants. there's a T-shirt I have wanted Not to exist. Neither of you are wearing pants. It was. <laughs> I'm wearing pants. Oh, you are under my dress. Oh, okay. Also very San Francisco. I have a dress. Um, it would still. It's still relevant, but it was really relevant. Oh, what happened? This was the political stuff years back. 
2002, 2003. Something, there was political stuff years there back? Was, I thought it just started just, last just recently. Oh. So I forget exactly what happened, but as happens periodically, the Republicans were down on Nancy Pelosi for her quote-unquote San Francisco values. Mm. I hate those. Yeah, that was the phrase that was getting bandied about for something. I don't remember what she was trying to do or doing, but that was the phrase that was getting bandied about. Also, bear in mind, this is 2002, 2003. Right. A long time ago. Yeah, but there are also phrases that were maybe more in our consciousness then than they are now. So the T-shirt I wanted on the front would say San Francisco values, and on the back would say they hate us because we love freedom. <laughs> would hate be spelled like hate? That's great. <laughs> yeah, that would be good. Because that's, that's another one of my T-shirts. That's very provocative. But my T-shirt is really provocative. It's what? I hate hate. <laughs> and for you non-San Francisco people, that's I hate H-A-T-E. H A I G H, which actually is something I can convey Burn, just with the, just with a look in my eyes, I can get that idea across without a yeah. T-shirt. So I like your T-shirt, and I thought that I think that's lovely. And mine, I would get in trouble if I made it, but I really want to. <laughs> okay, back to talking about books. Oh, books! <laughs> uh, I mean, T-shirts are great. We can talk about T-shirts for you know. Okay, secret of uh, being a grown-up came up out earlier in the spring. Right. Great get grad present. Yes. Perennially great grad present. Excellent. That is Going to get hope one for my desire. niece. Yeah. Yes. Uh, because I really think the tone of it is what makes it. Mm-hmm. Because it isn't, it could be luxury. Mm-hmm. It could be scoldy. Mm-hmm. I could be making these words up. No, but it also could be those, useless. But there's actually good things. Those were risks we really talked about. With yeah. this was the, this is one of the things I think that being an author has really made me a better editor, a more empathetic editor, and it's made you really appreciate what the editor, you know, craft when other people do it. Mm-hmm. You know, I yeah. worked with two really great editors on these and having them to help me made these books so much better than they would have been if I had just, I don't know, gone off and like made them in a vacuum or something that I talked a lot with my editor, Wynn, on this one about the voice and the tone. Mm-hmm. And we talked a lot about it being the cool older sister. Yeah, like I the person who's already out in their own apartment and you aren't yet, but you're going to be, and they're going to tell you, okay, Here's you're going the- to the kitchen store. Here's what you actually need to buy. Oh, like, there, was, you know. there was a little debate about that. Actually. Oh, that is the most controversial spread. I, that I, and I the chopping onions. I, I think you actually do. I mean, okay, maybe you don't need a garlic press, but I hate cutting garlic. I love just putting it in there and squishing it. I hate the garlic. <laughs> I don't need, I need garlic. No. I, I think it's to wash day. it and it's all sticky. And no, yeah. mine has like a little thing that like pushes through it and it gets out of there. But then otherwise it gets all over your fingers. I don't remember. Smell. What was the onion? I say that there is nothing in the world you can do to prevent crying when you chop onions. Some people cry more than others. I'm very, very subject to it, and some people, it's not that bad for them. But whatever your base level of crying is, all of these tricks that people say to have do. Have you actually tried the I've, goggles? I've tr- I have not tried the goggles. I, I have to goggles. admit. But I've talked to a lot of people like who tried it who say it doesn't work. I should go home and try it. I think it works. I don't even actually. believe that goggles work for swimming, though. So okay, well. I may have an anti-goggle prejudice. I are you talking like ski goggles or swim goggles? Swim goggles. Well, anything. But I, swim goggles are, first of all, I am getting you a pair of goggles <laughs> for swimming. Second of all, you can test out the onions with it. That is I all. got this thing that uh, you put the onion in, you know, and you go chunk, 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 chunk. Yeah. You You're like right, that? though. No. Oh. Because you have to first cut the onion into a size oh, that'll insane. fit. And it never works the way it's supposed and to. And then you're just weeping. And, and then you've got to think of something that will make you sad just so you can legitimize the crying. And or, as we say in the book, either learn to hate onions or learn to love crying. <laughs> it's true. But so at the same time, you're putting together how art can make you happy. Now explain the genesis of this one. 
This is a funny one, too, actually. This is a book that I thought I was going to edit. I thought I was Mm. going to acquire it. I went around, I think it may have actually been before I knew you, because if I'd known you, I would have written this book. I feel like if I'd known you, I would have talked to you about it. (laughs) I talked to two or three writers. I went out to writers and was like, I want to do a book about, like, art appreciation for everybody, and I have, you know, this sort of half-baked idea in my head. And every editor I talked to was happy, or mm-hmm. every author I talked to was happy enough, like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. And they'd write me up a little outline or proposal. Like, or, that's not what I thought. And I was like, no, no, that's yeah. perfectly nice. I'm sure that'd be a good book, but it's not the book I have in my mind. Yeah. And finally, my boss, who is also an editor, was sort of like, I kept, I was bemoaning how I could not find anyone to write this book. She's like, you know, Bridget... I think maybe you just need to write this book <laughs> because so cool. it's obviously so clear to you in your head what it's supposed to be, and nobody else so you, can write the book that you could write. And then you were on the phone, Dad, I'm going to need you on Saturday, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you, did you, you, did you write off. them simultaneously? Oh, did you get? To, did she get time? I off? took oh. a sabbatical, and but that was amazing. But it was actually after both of these were. It was written. done. I, I realized that as soon as I said it, that yeah. I think it was already done. That okay, was that was separate. But no, okay. with these, I wrote them back to back. Hmm. So I had because they were coming out in a you know staggered by a couple of months. The due dates were staggered a little bit. So I cannot imagine the stress of this. It makes me. I wrote one of them, and nauseous. then I turned it in, and then I turned and wrote the other one and turned it in, and it worked out well actually because then it was like I was reviewing edits in a staggered way. I was reviewing galleys in a staggered way, you know. Was it stressful, though? You know, it wasn't as stressful as it sounds. It was a, quite a lot of work, but maybe partly because I know the process really well. Mm-hmm. There weren't any, like, weird surprises. I knew what to expect. And these are not the kind of books f- that were, for me, uh, like, pulling teeth, struggle right. to and write. They were both in your mind for a long time. Right. I'd had them in my mind for a long time. That and helps. the voices are pretty much my, like, chatty, bloody blah voice. Like, I've written things mm-hmm. that were much, much mm. harder right. to write. And that would have taken long, much longer per sentence, per paragraph than these did. These were, because they're conversational, it was almost like I was sort of chatting away in my head and then just sort of transcribing, oh, you know, that. So fantastic. Versus the... I have to work I, I, at this prose and get it just right, right, you know. I think it would have been really hard to write those books if they had been stressful right. because you, it would have come across. Right. Yeah. You don't want this kind of a book to feel labored or difficult. Right. Right. It's, it's, it's it has to be, like, easy and breezy and fun. I mean, isn't that the biggest compliment for kind of a lighthearted book is it seems like it took 10 minutes to write. We <laughs> right. know it didn't. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it seems like it really was effortless. Yeah. All right. Now we have to talk about my favorite part of how art can make you happy. Okay. I did my favorite page of the secret <laughs> art of being a grown-up, right. which was tinfoil. Tinfoil. And my favorite not part garlic in garlic press. Not, no, because I disagree, <laughs> um, is the one about going to galleries and because that is scary for people, yeah. in galleries for it's, sure. Oh, everything I talk about in the book—it's the scariest. Yeah, thing, I think uh, for sure. And then there's a part I don't know where it is, but where you talk about, well, look if you're worried about what you're wearing. Oh, yeah, here's what to wear. <laughs> and this is one of the silliest things in the whole well, book. Yes, and this no, is, this because is real. this is really real. This is real. So, um, I this is the story. I, I actually, it's just an excuse to tell the story. But I thought this was actually very good advice in here. What to wear because everyone has these things in their closet, and you will be fine, and it won't be a big deal. A but, beret. Mm-hmm. And beret is not one of them. You don't need to be super arty. You can just be have a great pair of sunglasses and a black shirt. Really? Perfect. Basically. Completely. Yeah, you take the one nicest thing you have, the, the, whatever you own that you can put on your body. Handbag. Like, is watch. it yeah, a pair of shoes? Right. 
glasses, whatever, the one really nice thing you have, and then you wear your rattiest jeans and a black shirt, and you look like a person who maybe has money. Exactly. (laughs) So My mother used to treat, we used to love looking at houses when I was growing up, and she would always wear sweats. And a big diamond ring. Yep. yep. That's that's it. That's it for sure. <laughs> so um, I worked at a gallery, I won't say which one, in Midtown Manhattan uh, right after grad school. Why won't you say which one? Uh, I don't want to. Um, <laughs> and I guess I could say it. doesn't matter. Really. Okay. No other gallery. And, um, or you could mumble it so we can't <laughs> gallery. I worked at the front desk. And my job was basically just – I had almost no job. I didn't even answer phones. I just was there to kind of make sure like all the stuff happened in the upstairs offices and I was the one person who was in the gallery. Right. Just keeping an eye Just on make things. Make sure that nobody like walks into a painting or something, right, or leaves with it, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, I felt pretty militantly um, attached to the idea that I was not a gatekeeper. Mm-hmm. But one, but occasionally this would happen. And one day, a homeless person walked in and looked around at the art, and he was carrying like very overstuffed bags and was pretty not not dirty, dirty, but not super clean, and wearing a really old jacket that was stained and whatever. But it was all fine. He's looking at the art. But then he walked past me and started to walk up the stairs to the offices, which is obviously not okay. So, um, and I didn't know what to do because I didn't want to be that person who, so I said, can I tell them who's coming? And he said, sure, Frank Stella. (laughs) And I was really glad I had not made assumptions in the real world that I was making in my brain and felt like a real jerk and also relieved. (laughs) I would think the art world of all places would be more likely to see someone who looks like a homeless guy who's a genius. Oh, totally. Absolutely. And Frank Stella doesn't need to dress up to go to his gallery in Midtown. There are no rules. There are no rules. What you need to wear if you are Frank Stella. Exactly. And apparently in those bags he had, you know, like, with the newspapers inside the newspapers were something else. I don't know. But, <laughs> but it Amazing just artworks underlines that you can dress however you want when you mm-hmm. go to a gallery. Absolutely. You know, I think that's a really good message, and it's a message that I – it's part of the underlying message – of one of the underlying messages of the grown-up book is to be yourself. Oh, I know. It's nice. <laughs> it makes me happy. But it's not – you know, it, it, it's, it seems simple. But I think it's something people need to hear. Right, and I, mean, I talk about that in the book where I say, people say that all the time. They say, be yourself. Be what yourself. does it mean? What does that mean? Exactly. What does that actually mean? Aren't we all being ourselves all the time? Like, it's not like we can be somebody else. Like, but what does it really mean to engage with? And I, I think this goes across both books. I mean, they definitely influenced each other because I was writing them at the same time. This idea of your taste matters, what you like matters, responding, the things that, especially in the art book, but in the grown-up book too, the things that speak to you, the things that give you a visceral response yeah, listen to that. That matters because that's what being yourself looks like. It looks like paying attention and not just thinking, oh, I should like that because other people seem to like it. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you actually And in art care especially, about? there's this feeling of I'm going to show I have no taste if I like this If I this reveal thing. that I like oh, this thing. Oh, and books. And books too. And yeah. music. Yeah. Well, there are, those yeah. are all art in a and way, And people right? talk about yeah. guilty pleasures. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that's their way of couching it. Like – I'm enjoying this Stephen King yeah. novel, but it's a guilty it's a pleasure. Guilty pleasure. Right. I'm so actually I'm, better than this. I'm ironically aware of the fact that I'm not supposed right. to like this, but I do. Like, what? Like, why twist yourself into such a pretzel? Like, totally. And then, yeah, the whole ironic thing bums me out in art. Like, I like a lot of earnestness in my art, I have to say. I mean, I like things that are ironic if they're funny. Will you talk about that? In the final chapter of Broad Strokes, when you talk about Susan O'Malley, oh, right. where like, one I of the most that. radical thing you can be in some ways is earnest, is sincere. Oh yeah, that's yeah. right. I mean that to me that makes her one of the bravest contemporary artists I know, or just one of the most honest. I mean, I think that's another yeah. thing you talk that you're talking about in the grown-up book is that 
And it's funny because it's a light book, but these are pretty heavy issues, you know, being honest, being who you are, and really confronting fear. Yeah. There's a, a few pages, and we talked about whether or not to, whether it made sense to include Gets a little heavy. serious, th- yeah. heavy things in amongst stuff about like dryer sheets or whatever. Um, Good to know, though. But there's one about. You're saying that dryer sheets aren't serious? <laughs> very serious business. There's yeah. one about, I don't know if I'll be able to find it, but it's about setting boundaries. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's about yeah, yeah. Like what you'll tolerate and what you won't and what you'll put up with oh, and no, what you. Oh, no. That one's about circles. That one's about how to fight. Oh, yeah. Um, That's good, too. Good to also know. Also good, yeah. Had a high five. Had a high five. Very important. We should probably try but it. We, I, I always want to try it. I know. It. I haven't tried it. So the one about boundaries includes setting boundaries with, with your loved ones and the people who are important to you. And really, I think... I don't remember if it actually does. Are you on the page I now? found it. Okay, go ahead. I'll, okay. I won't give anything so, away. And it's, it's kind of a visual joke. This was one of the ones where it was fun to write the instructions to the illustrator, where I was like, okay, these statements are in circles, and then other things are outside the circles, because there's what's inside the boundary and what's outside the boundary, beyond the pale. So there are things that it's okay for work to ask you to do, and things it's not. And there are things that you will sacrifice for others and things you won't. And there are outrageous behavior that you will put up with from your family members and things you don't. And then there's bad habits that you'll tolerate in a partner and things you shouldn't. But what are those things? That like is the true. work but thing, you've I never understood. So you have to decide no. for yourself. Yeah. I thought about writing. All it says is set boundaries, and I considered writing a paragraph to sort of explicate this. And I was kind of like, no, this is really one you've got to figure out for yeah, yourself because yeah. it's so personal. But especially the jobs like we were just talking about, working the front desk, and but mm-hmm. in your case, a chronicle, in my case, in a gallery. You know, there is a. There is a place where it's you don't want to be too good for something, but at the same time, you're a young woman and you don't want to be treated like the maid or like the you know. There, not that I'm saying no, the gallery did that; they did not. But but to figure out those figuring out roles things. and what your role is in various right, situations right. and what's it's appropriate, hard. it's for hard to you. figure out. Yeah, which is crazy hard for a young adult because they feel like they have no leverage. Right, right. You know, because how many times when you're young do you hear, you know, if you don't want this job, I got a hundred people who will take it. Right, right. Although I will say that is something that I love in my, I mean, limited and anecdotal experience, but. I feel like people older than us, like baby boomer people, love to complain about millennials. Right? This is like a favorite topic I love of to like complain about millennials. I like millennials. I think that what is often referred to as like entitlement or uh-huh. something is mm. self confidence. Mm. I feel like they, a lot of people I've met who are now say in their twenties. Which is, I, it took me a while to realize. Like, oh, are people, they millennials or are yeah, they younger? They're millennials. Okay. And they're like, those people are a different generation than my generation. Like, mm. I'm Generation X, whatever. And they're different, I think, in part because they weren't like raised being constantly told. No, no, you're doing it wrong. Right. Do it Failure differently. This ahead. and that. Right. They were, and, right. and maybe sometimes they were given a little more like positive reinforcement, yeah. you know, than than was strictly needed or whatever. I mean, you hear the sort of classic, you know, right. mm-hmm. over parents who are overly participation trophies, to, yeah, yeah. yeah, all that. But at the end of the day, if you walk away feeling that you're right with the world, feeling the way you are just in and of yourself is fine and you're going to go live it in the world instead of having to try and squish yourself into a box that is not the shape of you. I think that's fantastic. I can't wait to see what that generation does. Like, well, where, you know, I, 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 I hope they do good things. Man. I really do. <laughs> Me too. I do. We could use it. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the simple thing they say is you're never going to be as good at being someone else as you are at being you. Right. And in spite of that, a lot of us go around pretending to be somebody else. I feel I can't remember if I put this in the book or not. If I didn't, I should have. I think I did. Um, so is that 
a lot of people are weird people trying to be normal or normal yes. people trying to be weird. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. And just embrace whichever one it is that you actually are and be okay with it. Like, uh, well, That's the time that I've been the most unhappy in my life. Trying to be someone you're not? Trying to be normal. Like trying, like <laughs> thinking I figure out, out the rules and try to act by them, then I always By the same sick. token, I know a ton of normal people. Oh, I'm just weird. Like, no, you're not. Yeah. No, no, for sure. <laughs> and it's okay. It's cool. I don't know if I'm either, but I'm definitely, I definitely would always like way. try to act a certain way. In workplaces especially, it never worked out. They know. So, you know. I, uh, there's one thing I want to know about as we're starting to run toward the end of our time together. Um, since I've got both of you, Bridgets, here, talk a little bit about the editor-writer relationship Ooh. and how that works. I mean, because I think if we've got writers out here who haven't had this experience before, it'd be mm-hmm. nice to know how that goes. My experience, this is BQ, of working with Bridget was that it is unlike most people's experience of working with editors because I... <laughs> Am I doing it wrong? <laughs> I don't know. I, just, I always hear how... Well, I don't know. I mean, it just felt very unfraught for me. I didn't wait forever to hear back from you. I didn't – like the things that stress people out didn't happen. I, I'm blanking on the guy's name, but I read an interview with one of those like legendary New York editors. Oh, I read the, I read his memoir. Oh, gosh. What's his what's name? His I can't name? remember. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. He edited everybody. Yes. Everybody. You know, everybody. One of these legendary guys yeah. that I think they kind of don't make them like that anymore kind of guys. And the reason I know you're talking about is I know you're going to say. Yeah. Yeah. So he had – Two things. Basically, he had two pieces of advice for editors, and I read it at a like seminal moment when I was first becoming like an editor in my own right, rather than an editorial assistant. One of them was get back to people immediately. Mm-hmm. Imagine use empathy. Imagine how anxious this person is. Mm-hmm. They've just sent you their baby, right? And if they don't hear from you, they're going to freak out. Like right. even if it means you have to write them back and be like. I'm sorry, I'm not going to have time to read this until the weekend or until next week or until whatever. Like, tell Perfect. them that. Perfect. You know, give them a schedule yeah. so they know when to – so they're not going to just lose their minds because it's a very emotional and stressful situation to be in. And then the other thing he said was your job as an editor is to make this thing the best version of what it already is. If you are trying to turn it into something else, like, there will be tears. This is, that is not your job and it will just – you will not, that, it won't. You won't make a good book at the so end of you, the day. You read this just recently, but were no, those all, I read. I read it years ago. Oh, okay, but that's to say, were those always kind of things you tried to bring into? No, the I job? read them at a really key moment. I feel like it, those were really the two lessons that I kind of took as like, okay, I want to have a, obviously an engaged but a somewhat hands off editorial style where I am not trying to round peg square hole mm-hmm. someone's book into something else. And, and I have to say that was the part about the book that also was the most um, not liberating is the wrong word, inspiring, is that you kept saying yes. Yes, yes, yes. Go this direction, go this direction, go this direction. And like one of the things people liked the most about it was the part I was the most nervous to send you, which was where I was inserting myself into the chapters a little bit. Mm-hmm. And no, no you, pushback at all. You, Bridget, seemed to have a really good relationship, though, but did you have to say no, and how did you respond? I don't remember. I mean, of course, sometimes well, there's things that need to happen. Right, we lost just, an artist. That sucked. That sucked. That was sad. You yeah. Displaced an artist. <laughs> Left we, it on the bus. We were blocked. <laughs> it was a reproduction issue. After after, well, I thought I had the rights because I'd gotten them from a museum, but I hadn't yet gotten the underlying rights and was told. And and this was far along in the process, so it had never been a problem before. So I wrote the entire chapter and you edited it. 
Oh. And then and I think we had an illustration for it. Yeah, we had everything. It was completely done. And then very, very last minute. And we never actually heard back. They never said no. They They just just wouldn't engage about it. And so we realized we needed to yank it and write a different chapter and illustrate a different chapter and edit a different chapter. But it was definitely by that time I feel like, you know, we were the the team who was going to... I'd figure out how to solve this problem together. It was one of the things that made me the most anxious was about uh, I don't know halfway through the time I had to turn in the book, I realized I could not get it done in time. Like I saw very clearly, I cannot finish, mm-hmm. and I was working all the time. I did not like it was, nothing was because of preservation. <laughs> like I could not do it, and I was terrified to go to Bridget and say I cannot get it done by this time. And I went to my saint of an agent to tell her the problem. And she said, well, we're just going to send what you have and say it. We're just not going to, we're not going to play any games and say, I can't do it. And Bridget responded with such a, like so much empathy that was not scoldy, was not annoyed, was not, you better effing do it. It was like, okay. But it also wasn't like, oh, take all the time you need, darling. It was, well, this is the timeline. (laughs) So we can figure out a new way for you to turn it in in pieces, but everything will have to be done by this time. And it was such a sane response. I mean, so much of what, I think this is something, like, I, it's why I write all these blog posts on the Chronicle blogs, like, what I want writers and authors to know is that so much of what an editor does is not what people think an editor does. Mm-hmm. You know, you sort of, I think everyone pictures, like, Bob Cratchit, you know, like, <laughs> sitting there at a desk with a red pencil, like, marking things. <laughs> and... <laughs> That, yes, that that's part of it, sure. And I did that on your book. Yep, and yep, yeah. Yep. But I just want to interject something here. Yeah. You're talking about Bartleby. Bob Cratchit was a clerk. I know, but, but, clerk, he's but a clerk. he did sit Bartleby at the desk. Bartleby was the scrivener. Right, but, right. but, but Cra- Bob, Bob Cratchit, Cratchit like sat at the desk with cold, not enough like, warmth, like, working cold and working. Hurt. Yeah. I get it. All right. All right. Same. Okay. He was not editing a manuscript. Hold it's on. true. He Fine. was, like, adding up so numbers in a ledger or something. Um, but I was picturing. Um but so much of it is things like dealing with schedules, figuring out, you know, solving problems, figuring out, like, oh, this isn't working. What can we do? Let's come try a different approach. Let's come at it from a different angle. And that that stuff is the challenging work and the fun work. Um, and that it works best by far when it can be a collaboration. Right. So, the, it felt like a collaboration. I didn't feel like I was ever being scolded or like <laughs> – or. Or the opposite, like smoking blown up your ass. Like it was, it was just a real like. This is what we need. This is how you could do it this way or this way. <laughs> so what? What are, what are the challenges when you get uh, unwarranted pushback from an author, an author who doesn't really know what's right for them? You know, I think that part of well, it's complicated, but part of what I was thinking. This is not directly answering your question, but I'll, which I'll come back around to. But I was thinking about. How, because you want to make the book that the person wants to make and not try and make it into something else, and because you want it to be a collaboration, I really think that the most important sort of moment in the intro process is what you acquire. You know, that you need to be signing up books with editor, with authors that you feel you can work with, that the project as it's already envisioned is correct and you do, it doesn't need a ton of course correction to make it fit on your list. You know, that that initial – I mean I remember when we met and we started talking about this project and it had that antenna, spidey sense, you know, like, ooh, ooh, this is a good one. And listening to those instincts I think is so important because mm-hmm. those are the projects that are going to be easy. I think the projects that turn out to be hard are the ones where – there's a divergent vision where what the publisher thinks they're making and what the author thinks they're making are not the same thing. That's and yeah. 
then there's going to be clashes and difficulties. And not to say that those can't be resolved and that you can't still make something good at the end of the day. It's just going to be a much more fraught process. Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes there's this sort of healthy conflict that like actually gets you to a great place, but it's harder <laughs> than when you are kind of rowing together in the right. same boat in the mm-hmm. same direction. With the same name. <laughs> With the same, same name. name. Conveniently. <laughs> Spelled well, correctly. Right. <laughs> well, Bridget, I feel like uh, there's a ton more to talk about, but we are out of time. Can I say one more thing? Absolutely. So tomorrow night we're doing an event oh, together. Yes. I mean, this won't be out in time. Right, this has been our dream for By the like time years. this comes out, some people will have witnessed. Not me because I'll be out of town. Right. Unfortunately, this is my only exposure to dual Bridget. But tell the people what they're missing. So it's either let this Bridget tell It's them. either Bridget squared or Bridget times Bridget, depending yeah. on yeah. what day we're on and how we feel like presenting it. <laughs> and we get to go to the De Young Museum tomorrow night before they have Friday nights at the De Young where the museum's open late and they got all kinds of activities and stuff going on. Drinks drinking. and That's stuff. Good. And That's stuff for, for kids and stuff for all kinds mm-hmm. of stuff. And we will be one of the attractions hey. tomorrow night. And we will be signing How Art Can Make You Happy and Broad Strokes in the museum. Perfect fit. I know. Bridget, Bridget, <laughs> art books. Bam. B squared. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> I like that. All right. Uh, that puts a wrap on another Grotto Pod. Bridget. You yes. both looked. I just did that so they both look. Uh, BWP. Oh, yeah, yes. BWP. That's me. Uh, tell us about website, uh, blog, Instagram. Uh, okay. I know you paint pictures and oh. put them up on Instagram. Tell us what you got. Okay, so I have a official website, which is BridgetWatsonPaint.com. And off that site, links to my blog, which is called Pippa's Cabinet, which I don't think anybody reads, but I enjoy my Wait, I read it. it. Do you? Pippa's Cabinet. Pippa's Cabinet. Mm-hmm. Pippa'scabinet.blogspot.com. And also, and you just oh, updated that there. today. I update it every day. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so you'll get something every day. I put poetry there. up there. I put drawings up there. I put all kinds of stuff mm-hmm. up there. And publishing news and whatnot. And then, yeah, I have Instagram, which is Watson Payne, which is hilarious because now and then I meet someone in real life who I've only known on Instagram and they think my first name is Watson. That's kind of cool. And my last oh. name is Payne, which was, actually would be adorable. Like, <laughs> such a cute name, yeah. Watson. They're like, oh, Watson, it's so nice to meet you. That's <laughs> hilarious. Adorable. Um, <laughs> That's how you know you're not like high school friends right. that you forgot about. Right. Yeah, I'm also Watson Payne on Twitter. Okay. Um, I think that's everything. Apropos of nothing, what was the punk rock name we came up with yesterday? I don't remember. Shoot. Oh, it was so good. It was so good, but please continue. That was so unprofessional of me. I'm <laughs> oh, I apologize. That's so weird that we're being unprofessional. <laughs> oh, and I write on the Chronicle Books blog as well. Those are great. Those are good. Those I really recommend for writers to read the Chronicle Books blog. It's yeah, fantastic. that's some good nuts and bolts stuff yeah. in there. Uh, BQ, what about you? What if people want to get more information about you that they haven't already gotten here? Mm, I can't imagine what it would be. Well, my <laughs> son is updating my website as we speak. He's, so at the time he's not spending making doctor's appointments, he's using to update your <laughs> exactly. website. Okay. Um, but since this is coming out not in this moment, uh, you can find me there at BridgetQuinnAuthor.com or BroadStrokesBook.com or on Twitter or Instagram, BQuinterest, which I won't spell because I misspelled my own name last time. <laughs> <laughs> recently, at some point, you just did it once. You have a, you have a pretty good record of spelling your name correctly. Really? Okay. Yeah. I won't worry about it. Unlike my childhood friend David Itchkowitz, but he really had an excuse. As for me, uh, you can find me on Twitter at that Larry Rosen. You can go to the website isitgoodforthejews.com to click on my other podcast. Is it good for the Jews? That wraps it up for us. BQ. Why don't you? take us home. Well, first I need to thank our producers, Lee Kravitz, Lori Ann Doyle, and Beth Weingarner, and also we need to thank Sugartown. Now. Oh, here I go. It's time 
for you to All put right, a cap on this. All right, and I think this is Bridget Watson Payne approved because friends read, write, and just keep working. <laughs> <laughs>